I'm Julie Potowitz, CEO and founder of Grow Your Occupancy. Our passion is helping senior living providers maximize sales efforts and increase revenue. Join me as I chat with industry leaders who share their tips and strategies, and we'll have some fun along the way. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Grow Your Occupancy podcast. I'm Julie Potowitz, CEO and founder. Today, I'm talking with Chris Hines, a senior living advocate, a fellow Bridge the Gap ambassador, and the managing partner with Westport One, a leading executive search firm that helps companies identify, qualify, and deliver the best senior living leadership talent across the country. He has more than 24 years of recruiting industry experience, and he has become a thought leader and a keynote speaker in both recruiting and the senior living industry. He has partnered with with senior living organizations across the country, hundreds of them, in helping them identify and find talent, again, in all leadership positions, including sales. He is also, and this blows me away, he is an endurance athlete. You have to tell us more about that, Chris. Running more than, is this right, 200 races? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Not only do you run or you endurance, whatever you have to tell us about that. You also raise money through those endeavors. Can you tell us more about that? Well, welcome. First of all, I'm so excited you're here. Um, tell us about a little bit about you and, and when you're not, I'm glad you stopped for a minute to talk with me <laughs> about running and raising money and stuff. Uh, sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me, Julie. Uh, running's turned into a passion of mine over the last exactly 10 years now. Uh, April of 2012 is when I first started running. Um, I thought I would do one race and then be done, uh, but it's turned into a little bit of a, of a, of a habit. Uh, I run every single day, um, half for um, going on more than two years now of running every day beyond running two or three times a week before that. Uh, but the passion of using my endurance capabilities, uh, whether you want to call it endurance or suffering, um, taking that passion for and adding the passion that I have for uh, three charities, uh, Dementia Care, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, and Shriners Hospital for Children, that I have stretched myself to the limits that I have run for 24 hours straight to raise what? money and awareness for those three causes. And I'm going to do that for the second time in my life this October. You're running for 24 hours straight? 24 hours. I yeah. <laughs> First of all, okay. I, I love the, the, and I've often used kind of the, the analogy or the story of endurance running and sales yeah. as, or any profession, but we're talking about sales today. And uh, when I was uh, to 1999, I'm not a runner at all, but in 1999, I decided I'm going to run a marathon mm -hmm. uh, out of just, I don't know, thought it sounded like a, a great goal. And I never ran, you know, race before or anything. Mm -hmm. And well, if I could run a marathon, then I could do anything. That's right. right. And it was a hair to coach. Thank goodness. Uh -huh. because it was the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life. And of course I wanted to quit. And, <laughs> you know, the coach kept reminding me, you know, why is it that you're wanting to do this? Why is it that you're wanting to do this? 
and help keep me focused on the why through the mm-hmm. pain. And that's so much, so oftentimes in sales, we get no's, 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 and it can be very painful, right? So if you're focused on that why and you accomplish, you know, you cross the finish line and in sales mm-hmm. finish line, we're never quite, cro- we cross it over and over and over again. That's right. <laughs> right. Tell me a little bit about, I'd love to understand your why and what, what, what in, you said you run every single day. So yeah. I'm just so, so incredibly interested in that. Uh, I mean, my why is the consistency and the discipline side from a running standpoint. Uh, it used to be something that I did. Now it's something that I am. And it's, it's just a matter of waking up every morning. And there are mornings I do not feel like it. But I literally just get out of bed. I'm an early morning riser. Uh, I'm an early morning runner. My beagle runs with me every single day. <laughs> and he loves it. If, if we didn't take him for a run, we would have our, uh, we'd have our hands full. Um, I've trained him to the point to run half marathons with me. That He runs a half a marathon a month with me and has for the last four months. And it's funny that the days that we go for a short run, a three or four mile run, he is wiped out. The days I take him for eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 miles, he has more energy when he comes back than he did on the short one. So he's meant for this endurance for some crazy reason. So he's, it's like a kindred spirit to me in the running. Uh, but that the why is just the ability to push myself, the ability, the ability to see how much more I can sustain, not to break myself down for the purposes of seeing if I can uh, destroy myself, but to incrementally improve myself every single day. And that's what I really strive for. Wow. And that, boy, the incrementally improve myself every day. What was it, Chris, that had you go from running two, three times a week, which is fantastic, to mm-hmm. doing it every day? You said two or three years ago you made that change. Yeah. Ironically, the pandemic helped with that. Uh, we were on a college vi- visit with my son out in Salt Lake City, and uh, we were supposed to visit the school. And then the world, of, as we all know, shut down. Uh, our, the tour was canceled. The next tour at the next university was canceled. So we came home and like everybody else, we were in an office environment and all of a sudden we're in a remote work from home, work from anywhere environment. So I went from running two or three or four times a week to, I have every morning that I don't have a 45 minute commute anymore. I'm already up at 5am to go running. I could now run every single day. So I did it for a month to see if I could uh, sustain it and that my body wouldn't break down because I'll do long races, short races, triathlons and whatnot. I did not want my body to break down. And after doing it for one month, I realized that I could keep on doing it. So April 21st, so I guess we're just about two months away. It'll be two straight years of running every single day, at least um, three miles. Not Uh, missing a day. That's right. And you live... in where it snows, right? I live in the snow. This morning, I ran on on snow and ice. Well, I should say I shuffled on snow and ice this morning. (laughs) I so admire this, Chris. It's uh, the discipline. And I, you know, it sounds like you made the decision. And so much in in life, right? Success in life is just making decisions. And, you know, in sales, I've been a sales trainer and coach for many, many years. And it's, um, that it's the tenacity to keep going in spite of, 
you know, in spite of the loss, in spite of the no, in spite of the rain, the snow, the ice, you know, in spite of getting hung up on, in spite of the sail that fell through, keep going. And um, you said the ability to push yourself. How Mm -hmm. does it translate to your professional uh, life? Because as a recruiter, of course, you're Mm -hmm. in sales, right? That's right. Yeah, it, it, it really is a perfect parallel. Mm-hmm. Because there, you have good days, you have bad days. I have good days in running, I have bad days in running. Uh, and uh, from a recruitment standpoint, you have good and bad days. So that discipline uh, completely translates to what we do. The old saying of uh, it's not a um, sprint, it's a marathon, or it's not the journey, it's not the destination, it's the journey. I mean, I could come up with another 10 cliches to give to you, but they all really hold true with, with sales. So whether we're selling our recruitment services to a company to help them find the talent that they need, or whether a a community relations director is selling the capabilities of a community to best serve a a potential resident, it's all the same. So that, that discipline side, that commitment side, the refusing to quit, the refusing to give in complete parallels in everything that I do, whether it's perfect personally or professionally. I love it. I love it. And can you uh, switching gears just a little bit from, yeah. from a, you know, you lead a team, right. Yes. At, at, your, at your company, uh, that's right. right. And that's sales. That's right. And you recruit for sales leadership and other leadership positions in senior living and, and other industries. Um, and you use that parallel of, you know, never, never quitting. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, so can you, when you're, um, when you are recruiting, right. For a sales leadership role, what are, what do you look for in a candidate, sure. both for, you know, paralleling both maybe a recruiter for your company, as well as a sales leader at a community or a regional or, or VP level? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we work for the community leadership on up. Okay. Um, And one thing that you know so well, Julie, is the reality is that every single team member in that community is part of the sales process. Mm -hmm. They are either helping it or they're hurting it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, not everybody has that mindset. But that's a little altruistic. Let me just break it down to the traditional sales leader within a community or at the regional level. It really depends on what the client's looking for, the client being the senior living organization. Uh, If they're... You choose the title. I mean, there are so many titles in our industry. It's, it's semi-comical. Uh, community relations director, community sales director, director of sales, senior care counselor, and all the other ones that are out there. Um, but breaking it down into two segments, the assisted living memory care communities versus the independent living active adult communities, there seems to be a breakdown, a breakup of what the clients are looking for. On the AL memory care side, for the most part, they're looking for someone with previous senior living experience, some stability, a good track record, and a great reputation. Sound familiar, right? Uh, yes. Everybody's yeah. looking for that. Okay. Okay. On the independent living active adult side, they seem to be more open to bringing somebody into the industry. Interesting. Primarily in that IL active adult side, being that they are mostly on the upper scale of the, of the economy. They want people from high-end hospitality, country club memberships, high-end apartment complexes. Um, if they're on one of the coasts, not too much here in, the, in St. Louis, but on the coasts, yacht sales or consultative jewelry sales, not in the mall, but actually the consultative jewelry sales. 
those types of backgrounds transition very well and they have a great uh, great great translation to consultative sales in senior living which is what we do part of the challenge that we're facing in this industry is the continual recycling of the same people who have been in the industry for years and they move from one community to the next community to the next community and then in the exact same breath the leadership of the organizations complain that they don't have any job stability amongst their people. So it, there's a real challenge there of yeah. uh, the communities that are rigid and must have senior living experience okay. versus those that have the right aptitude and attitude and desire to learn. And those that are willing to be a little more flu uh, fluid on the background they're the ones that are bringing new talent into the industry and they have the best opportunity to keep them within their community and they're within the organization. Okay. So you make a really good point. Couple, couple of them. One is that with the IL independent living active adult mm -hmm. um, seems your clients seem to have a little bit more of an open mind to reach out of the, out of the industry. That's right. AL memory care, assisted living, memory care, skilled nursing. They want the experience. Why right. is that? Why do you think that's true? Um, I believe it comes down more to the care side of not that the, the sales professionals are doing the true assessment of whether the, the potential resident is going to be a fit for the community or not, but they want them to have an understanding of what is a, a true prospect that they can bring into the community versus those that might have a, uh, a medical need that's beyond their scope. That's one answer. Um, that we've gotten from some of the clients. The other is they don't have time to train them. They need them to come in and be able to hit the ground running, give them a policy book and let them go on their way. That's great, but what are you training? Are you training the bad habits of somebody else and trying to untrain those? Are you only picking out the best practices they used before with the theory that they're gonna forget everything else? We know that's not the reality of this. So the, the, that's some of the reasons why um, the, our clients uh, have more so wanted previous senior living experience on that AL memory care side. Interesting, interesting. So the you know time spent on the front end, we know this in sales. Time spent on the front end, whether you're a community sales leader or you're a recruiter, and it is going to yield you great benefits in the to, on the closing or shorten the sales right. cycle, relationships, et cetera. More time on the front end, training, coaching, supporting, laying, laying out the guardrails, you know, and laying down the tracks for your sales leaders in this case is going to yield you so much more, you know, in, in the short room, short term and long term. Yeah. It's a conundrum, right? We're, we're, it's the whirlwind. Yeah. You know, need, like said, need to hit the ground running. It's, it's, a, it's a vicious cycle. It is. Turning because that's kind of segues to my next question it or comment around you know everyone can I think most people can relate to this the same kind of whatever five people can uh -huh. <laughs> in any uh, in any geographic right so if you yeah. want some experience it might be one of these five people and let me ask you why do you why do you think that why such high turnover why do we have these same five ten people that just rotate right. through. Yeah, and the, the secondary challenge for those same five people in that example is four um, leaders within the organizations will have four different opinions about those five people because of some situation, one bad experience, uh, one cocktail party that 
um, one thing was said wrong and they have long memories for negative and short memories for the positive. So part of the greatest challenge that we see on the recruitment side is the lack of understanding of the reality that we live in. Forget the pandemic for a moment. Okay, as you mentioned, I've been doing this for 24 years. My 25th anniversary will be at the end of June. And in my, when I started in 1997, the average tenure of a professional, not just senior living, but any professional, was 4.8 years. And even in 97, that seemed short because everyone wanted 10 or 15 years of experience. But the, the numbers didn't lie. It was 4.8 years. In 2019, the average tenure of a professional was 2.7 years. I would be shocked and afraid to throw the numbers during the pandemic and the movements that people had to make during that time, whether they were let, laid off, whether they had to move, whether they had to take care of family members and they had to find a job that said they would be, um, they'd be linking it with them, but really wasn't. So forget the pandemic, pandemic time, 2.7 years, that's more of a utopian world right now if you look at any resume. One and a half to two years is good tenure. And that's so unfortunate. Right. And Variety it, of reasons why that's the case, though. Sure, sure. I mean, and, and I just sorry to jump on you, but yeah, they, no. in, this, in this business, selling senior living, is a, it's a high level skill. Yes. And, and, and really, it takes time to master. It's simple. You look at, you know, the, here someone in quite, you know, wants to learn about you and it makes all a great sense and they uh -huh. would move in, right? But it's not based on logic and, no. and facts, right? It's all emotional and yes. understanding the, 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 the behavior of change and, and all the people that are involved. It takes a lot of practice. And people yeah. ask me, like, how long does it take to really master this? Well, there's no set timeline. But if you someone who's really leaning in and practicing, a couple of years, I mean, really, to, and then continuing, because we know the best of the best sit in the front row, you know, at, at the training and they go to the <laughs> conferences and they want to continue learning, right? Mm -hmm. So how are we going to get there if we're not, if we continue to churn and and go from 2.7 years to less than a year, how's anyone right. ever going to master this? Yeah, it, it is a real challenge. And, and part of it is the, just the market that we're in. I mean, the growth and explosion of senior living over the last 10 years. And really, if you take the pandemic out, um, the, the, the previous 18 months and the explosion of the new communities, I'll call them the new shiny pennies. From a salesperson standpoint, the new shiny penny becomes really attractive, in part because the bonus structures are so lucrative. But the challenge is that building eventually becomes a little older. And what does the organization do to keep the individual? And there are a lot of balls that are dropped there. Salespeople, whether we like it or not, want to feel love. They want to be showed um, uh, recognition that that's a typical makeup of a successful salesperson. I'm not saying that they're high maintenance and they need, a, they need to be told they're wonderful every four hours, but they want to feel appreciated. And companies are really good at that when they first start. And they're incredible at that when they show their first signs of success. But they aren't great at the continual showing of love. And once there's a break 
and a crack in that that love partnership between their leaders, whether a new one of the leaders leave, whether it's the ED or if it's the regional leaves or if you're a regional and one of the uh, one of your VPs leave. And now you're in a new situation with a new leadership, same company, but new leadership, new procedures, new paperwork that needs to be turned in. That crack can break. And that's when they start wondering, is there something out there that could be better for me? But the challenge is that theory, the grass is always greener on the other side. We all know it. It rarely is. Every now and then it is, but it, it's rarely always greener on the other side. Just every now and then it can be. It's not just about that shiny penny. It's about how they are treated continually throughout the process. You mentioned the beginning of uh, when they come on board, but it's that middle time. And it's before you get to the end where they say they're leaving and now you try to do everything you can to keep them and counter offers are so risky and you might do it for a short period of time, but those things that were bothering them still bother them. Money doesn't change that. Titles don't change that. Passion when you're talking. So I'm taking notes. It's so interesting. It, that first sign of success, mm -hmm. you know, when you're talking about recognition and, and showing the love and, and, and getting, having those kudos. Yeah. We all need that, right? But you're right. Salespeople, the, the makeup of sales, uh, you know, we, we, we do need that. And it is, I think it's easier to give in the beginning. It's fresh. It's new. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, science shows that when you start something, you start new, you're, you're kind of here and you learn it. You take a class, you learn, you go to train, you get some mm -hmm. coaching, your skills go, Wait, it could be yep. anything. I'm playing tennis. I don't play tennis, but if I started <laughs> playing tennis six weeks from now, I would be much better than I am today. Exactly. And you level off. So you get, someone comes on, let's say community sales later and they, boop, they get us that boost. They get mm -hmm. a certain there's been no move-ins really, or very few. And then they get, and yay, yay, we love you. Right. We love you. Great. And then they level off and without the coaching and the training to take right. it to the next level, we're going to go down. So my tennis, if I don't keep taking those classes, I'm never going to get better than this. As a matter of fact, my skills will go down. It's mm -hmm. proven. That's right. Um, interesting studies. And so what's, this is like, that sounds like a real vicious cycle. Again, yeah. I'm not getting better. What happened to my love? you're not getting better. We're stopped. We're yep. even now we're going to tell you negative stuff, uh -huh. right? Instead of giving the coaching and the training to help you take those next steps because we're in a whirlwind, right? This is right. so that, or like, I guess dating, you've been married a long time. I've been married a long time, yeah. but you know, it's like, that's why I think people, you know, you, you, it feels great. You know, it feels great when someone's kind of complimenting you or, or, you know, Oh, I feel appreciated because it's mm -hmm. new and fresh and that's right. That, that long-term. So what advice would you give, Chris, for companies to retain, for retention mm -hmm. of good, first of all, get, get a good people, right? And training, right? Give training mm -hmm. and coaching. But what other advice would you give to retain great people? Sure. Yeah. And, and there's a reality, and you, you mentioned it with your tennis, tennis analogy, is you're either learning or you're dying. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's no, there is no staying static right in the middle. You're going up or you're going down. Um, organizations that have the mentality of being a learning-driven organization are the ones that succeed more in the long term. Status quo is not acceptable. Organizations that show that and can give examples and create stories about their learning-driven organization 
have shown much stronger retention rates. And here's the reality. As a recruiter, we recruit people. There are many salespeople, whether it be a community salesperson or a regional, that we have attempted to recruit. Shocker, right? But there are many that will not leave where they are, no matter what the money is, no matter what the offer is, because the things that cannot be changed are the things that keep them with that organization. And while that is in part the people that they work with, it's more so the support and the knowledge that they continually gain. So a, re a great retention tool is always keeping the content fresh. From the sales standpoint, always keeping the strategies. You've been doing this for a long time too. I mean, you've had incredible positions with organizations and the saying of, we've always done it this way doesn't work anymore. You can, of course, keep the traditions in place, but you have to bring new elements on board, whether it be new creative ways for lead generation. Companies that don't have a strong digital lead generation process, a strong digital content process. They are falling behind. And companies that don't have that, it's easier for a recruiter like myself or some of the other well-respected ones out there for us to, to recruit somebody away. So right. that, the, the retention tool is the either the retention tool or part of the reason that they leave. So you're either helping them grow or you're helping them walk out the door. Great advice. It's great advice. Um, you mentioned the bonus structure for yeah. lease ups. You said yes. the tiny pennies. Can you talk a little bit about that's interesting to me um, about bonus structures and anything that you uh, it would give advice or suggest or what's attractive to top yeah. candidates in, in regard to bonus structure and sales? Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, as you know, there are so many programs that are out there. Uh, from the just the the traditional um, uh, tiered plan to the um, the backtrack plan that once you reach a certain level, you every every move in you had prior to that retroact to um, to you retroact back to one at the higher levels uh, to some absolutely insane plans that we've seen. But some of the commonality that we've seen is in that divide between the lease up the new build lease upside, and then the more established community. And one of those elements is on occupancy. In the lease upside, occupancy, obviously you're starting at zero. So everybody has the pretty much the typical name for it, the Founders Club, the first residents that come on board. And there is a high premium that's paid for that first 10%. So that's great for a new build but you don't have that 10% on the established community. Most of them have high occupancy bonuses that are paid monthly. And the vast majority of the plans that we've seen start at 95% and they incrementally increase from 95 up to hundred. And then of course, average out over the course of the month. Well, a very unique thing that a couple of organizations have done from a retention standpoint is they have reduced that high occupancy level down to 90% because the economies are there. The profit margins are there in the typically in the mid eighties, the mid eighties to the, to the high eighties. So there's an ability to not just give at the highest level, but to give at a good level. 90% is still an A, 
I mean, there are some schools out there say you got to have a 92. But when I went to, to high school and went to college, 90 was still an A. So they start rewarding that high occupancy at 90. And that retention tool becomes a difficult thing for a company that's interested in them to pull away when they have three or $4,000 a month they have coming in right off the bat before they have a single move in. That keeps them there. And when they have that, it becomes more difficult to get them out the door. Interesting. You make a good, you make another good point. So you're suggesting potentially for those established communities that to consider look for now, at least, um, or in circumstances to lower the initial high occupancy benchmark. That's right. That's right. And really base it upon the, base it upon the community. Right. Because right. If, if a new sales director is coming on board and the occupancy Again, take pandemic out of the equation. But if they were a challenged community and they're at 67%, mm-hmm. and you tell them at 95%, you're going to start receiving the high occupancy bonus, that's really not a carrot. Yes, they could get all the move in bonuses, but the move in bonuses, whether they're 300, 500, 700, is very different than uh, starting the month off with having 3,000 coming, coming in. Mm-hmm. So give them a carrot of a 10% increment. Get to this point, and we're going to have this bonus for you. Get to the next five or seven or 10% level. We're going to have this fixed bonus for you. And then start that stability at 90%. That's great. Yeah. Um, You cut out there just for a second. So they have that fixed, have that kind of incremental, which can, which keeps salespeople hungry or should anyway. That's right. Using the running analogy, right? If you, if you're, just go one step at a time. Don't worry about yeah. 10 miles. It kind of cracked me up when you said going for a short run and it's four miles. <laughs> I do remember those days. You're like, yeah, this is an easy, you know, an easy five. And it's actually a very, very long, <laughs> but um, it, you know, if you're expecting yourself to go out and run 10 miles today and you've not done it, it's that's probably setting yourself up for failure. You so run from that, mailbox to mailbox, mailbox to mailbox, that's 67% right. to, uh, and keeping that those carrots, if you will, um, stretched but manageable. Yeah, that's right. Because if someone doesn't think it's something's possible, then they are not going to even attempt it. That's correct. Right. That's correct. And that's what? where that that great divide comes of of if occupancy is at such a lower point right now. Right. The small increments are great, but when they could see a a a, a bonus, a super bonus, if you want to call it. That's a one-time deal to reach a certain plateau that yeah. really becomes attractive to them. What keeps, um, well, you, you talked about continual learning, yeah. uh, you know, learning opportunity, growth opportunities. Um, it, I think it's just, it's almost, we can use any analogy like, you, you know, you, you, you run, you wanted to run a race, you wanted to run a marathon and you do that. It's like, okay, now I'm done. Or I, right. I want to get hundred percent occupancy, 95% occupancy. I'm done. When we know the hard work starts there, how do we keep those great people great? How do we keep it fresh? How do we keep them motivated? Um, you talked about offering some learning opportunities. What other ways can we keep great people? Allow them to become a mentor. So when you have a successful sales leader at a community, there is some community within your network that has bringing somebody new on board. And when you're able to become a trainer, become, be able to become that beacon for somebody who is aspiring to become like you, 
that is powerful to salespeople. When they are seen as that person that you want to partner with the new sales leader, that can be a very strong attraction tool. I love it. I love it. So you've been doing this with almost a quarter century. You've been yeah. working in senior living how long? Well, I, I mean, I've been doing it for, it'll be almost 25 years, but I was four years, when I, four years old when I started. So <laughs> <laughs> you did this right out of elementary school. That's right. <laughs> What changes have you seen? We talked about the difference maybe in, in your clients uh, from AL, um, memory care and active and, and independent. What changes have you seen in the, the candidates? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, tenure, of course, is one of them. Uh, yeah. Another thing, not necessarily from the candidate side, but from the company side that we have seen um, evolve over the years, and it really ebbs and flows, is the utilization of assessments. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, companies will bring them on board. Uh, maybe there's a new um, uh, uh, human resources or, or VP of people um, within an organization that brings an assessment tool in. And the varying degree of um, stringentness on what is an acceptable level really, really varies. Some organizations use it as a peer guide. They look at their experience more so and the assessment as a guide. There are others, whether they say it or not, they have a real line in the sand. If they don't have a certain level, they're not going to be considered. We have seen that evolve over the years. We've seen when the assessments get put in place evolve over the years. And I'm a little more in a, a hope mindset, but my hope is that more organizations move the assessment to the beginning of the process, whether it's pre-interview or at least after the first interview, as opposed to the end of the process. Because I have seen too many processes go, we love them, we love them, we love them, we assess them, they're terrible. Why on earth would we ever hire them? Who could ever have, have, have hired them? And nothing shifted other than they took an assessment. They were not a raging lunatic before and they are not after just because of the assessment. So the sooner in the process we can put we can move that and we've seen clients that do that, yeah. the better that they could really keep those that they really want involved versus losing them at the very end. Interesting. To the, if sorry, I, I answered any question you have on that. No, I was just saying what percent, if you could put a percent uh, of weight, percentage mm-hmm. of weight, would you recommend placing on, you know, an assessment result. On it, I would say realistically, no more than 25%. Uh-huh. Okay. And the reason I say that is because very few organizations have done a true analysis of before we brought the assessment, what was our retention rate? Oh, that's a good point. After we brought the assessment, what's our retention rate? Yep. Right. There is not much shift. That's a really good point. And knowing the data, and I bet you that uh, I would agree with you because I've, I've been on the provider side and done, I very much believe in real thorough, you know, interviewing and the use of assessments and things like yeah. that. But like you said, I'm more in the 25, 20 to 25% range. And to, are we really keeping track? Are we right. really keeping track of, and are we really using the, the assessment kind of uh, analysis for, and for team building, how is it really? Yeah. And that's always the, in theory, 
we wish it were better, but in yeah. reality, everybody's busy. And you've seen these assessments. I mean, they're all driven by the same six principles. They have different words for them, but they're all the same six principles. So they, every single um, um, assessment will give you a coaching guide. It will give you some interview questions. And it gives you best ways to manage, to work with, and to mentor. Those latter sections are rarely used. Mm-hmm. And the, the secondary part of this, and I've learned this from talking with one of the, uh, the analysts of um, these assessments, the reality is your profile can change every six months That's because it's based upon what your circumstance was at the time of taking it. And guess what? Our lives change right. for the good and for the bad. So we think that this assessment was ironclad and and just incredible on January 1st, but on July 15th, we aren't a completely different person, but we have different things that are going to impact us, which is another, another reason why those assessments uh, and the, the reality that they may not keep, they may not hold the retention tool that they were believed to have. It's interesting. I am so fascinated by everything you're saying and could, I definitely want to um, have you back on Chris, uh, but don't want to hold you up too much longer. I do have a final question. Yes. Um, if you could give us advice on how to do better interviewing, mm-hmm. what advice would you give us? Well, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to give you two. Okay. Okay. Um, the- not taking notes, you know that. Good. The first one, and this is of the utmost critical importance in the time that we're in right now, because this is truly unprecedented times with the, the, the amount of true talent that we need. Speed of process is king. Companies that have processes that are going two, three, four, five, six, 12 weeks long, though candidates that are staying around for those processes you really have to wonder whether they're any good. Oh, very I, I, I don't mean that people are not good. I mean, there, there's, everyone has, a, there's a right place for everybody. Sure. But if they are any good at what they do, they are going to have multiple companies coming at them, multiple offers that they're deciding between. So speed is king. Okay. In my, in my rationale and my experience and with my team's experience, seven to 10 days is the best time frame for an interview process. And that does not mean you have to shortcut the integrity of your process. Okay. You can have four, five, and six steps in a seven to 10 day window. Gotcha. If your team is fully involved and they are okay. truly urgent about this hire. Gotcha. Don't, don't shorten the step. Don't cut out the steps. That's right. It's very Shorten much like or combined. Skills, right? Yeah. You can combine. I mean, the regional yeah. director and the SVP don't have to have two separate interviews. Right. They can right. do it one. One can be in person with the other could be on Zoom or on Teams. Right. So there you of course excuse excuses is the wrong word. Of course things happen. Life happens, there's a resident issue, a COVID issue, so many things can come into play. But if the general rule of thumb, if yeah. you can have a process seven to ten seven to ten days long maximum, you are gonna have the best opportunity to get the candidates that you want. Excellent advice. So that's one. The yeah. second is, this is a two-way interview street. Yeah. You are interviewing them to make sure that they are the right fit for you, they're right, the right fit for the culture. You feel that they'll fit within the team and all those wonderful things. 
but they are also evaluating you. The candidates are deciding, is this the type of company that I want to work for? Is this the type of leader that I want to work for? Is this the type of leader that I believe can help me grow? Yes, it's the compensation right, it's the culture right, or the hours right, or the benefits right, all the other things. But far too often, companies are wonderful at asking questions as to why the candidate wants to work for them, but they do a, let's call it a not so great job of selling to the candidate why they should want to come to work for the company. Okay. So one thing that I talk about um, when it comes to this with some of my clients is create great stories. Okay. Create many stories as to why you are a great company. Share stories of how you actually implement some of these wonderful things that you do. And give them examples of the tenure within the group. Because while there is some transition of, of talent, there is a core group. And mm-hmm. what keeps that group together? Uh-huh. Sharing those types of stories are much more impactful than we've been around for 35 years. We have 11, we have communities in 11 states and uh, we were certified for some award. That doesn't really give me any wow factor. I wanna hear the stories behind what makes you a great company. And those stories will have just as much of an impact on the offer acceptance as what the dollar figure is on the page. Excellent advice. I've taken a lot of notes. Chris Hines with Westport One. Thank you again very much. I am going to dust off my walking shoes, Chris. You've inspired (laughs) me and everyone listening in many, many ways. You're amazing. And we thank you for everything that you do for the senior living business um, and everyone that you work for and with. And I thank you so much for being a guest. Well, thank you so much, Julie. And it's great to hear that you're going to get your shoes back on. Everyone can get out there and take a couple steps, right? And it's just one step at a time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Julie. Bye-bye.